good morning, everybody. And uh, I have a confession to make as we get started. That is, my regular glasses are broken, which means I cannot see anybody's face right now. Now I can. Um, and so I'll be doing this a little bit today. Uh, my name is Gabe. I don't have good vision. And so uh, welcome to Westside. We're uh, starting a brand new series called This Beautiful Mess, and uh, hopefully tomorrow Costco will call me and be like, your glasses are done and all, and then next week I won't have to do this. But I want to, um, I want to start today by just kind of talking a little bit about what we're going to be doing over the next six weeks. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you are here and you're new to Westside, you came at an absolutely perfect time because the next six weeks for us are a little bit about what makes our church tick. It's called This Beautiful Mess. It's a six-week series on our values as a church, and I'll, I'll explain how we form these values. We'll walk through each one for a week. And so today, we're gonna be talking about one of our values. You might have already seen this at the top of your notes. The message title today is We Refuse to Pretend. That's the first value we're gonna be talking about today. And I wanna kinda of start out by saying happy anniversary to my wife. 27 years that we were just celebrating. We just got to celebrate 27 years this week, and the 15th of July is our anniversary. Um, and we decided to sneak away for a couple days to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, which is just gorgeous. It was so much fun. The weather was perfect. We had, on, uh, as part of our celebration, we decided to have dessert for breakfast. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but here's the, here's the picture. Isn't that amazing? That's... That's called a gooey. That's what it's called, a gooey. And uh, they have two sizes. One is the, the personal size, which is two scoops of ice cream with like all this stuff in there. The other one is like, I don't even know what the name of it is. It's just like the amazing size. And that's what we got, six scoops of ice cream, um, like a gallon and a half of hot fudge, everything you can think of in this thing. And uh, we had it for breakfast, but that wasn't the only thing we had for breakfast. So there, you know, it was like an amazing day. Start off like that. Um, you know, we were kind of like lethargic the rest of the day, <laughs> trying to get rid of all that sugar. But um, I was thinking about the gooey when I thought about our church, which because we're talking about this beautiful mess. And when you think about really good things in your life, they are rarely squeaky clean. They are rarely perfectly organized. They don't always happen, I mean, sometimes they happen spontaneously, right? You don't always know they're coming. You don't always know exactly how it happened. Um, there's always some streak of God's you know, intervention involved in those things. And I think that's a lot about how the church should be, is that it's, it's a gooey, I mean, it's a mess, you know? At the same time, it's so good. And that's who we are as a church, so that's why we're talking about this beautiful mess, it's our values. I wanna, I wanna begin with this thought. We are drawn to the transcendent as people. We're, just, we're drawn to things that are otherworldly, that are elevated, that, are, that have God's hand in them. They have some measure of progress involved, you know, we're not necessarily drawn, we're not all drawn to just the organized. Now, some of you, let me see your hands real quick if you like organized things. Okay, I knew my wife was gonna be the first one to get her hand up. Um, except for you like the gooey and it's not organized. But she likes organized things. Okay, t tell me if you, don't, if you dislike organized things. Okay, 
and I probably lean a little bit more toward you guys uh, on that. Um, you know, some of you are super organized, or some of you are not that organized, but, but we're all drawn to things that are transcendent, not just organized. You don't like things because they're organized. You, you might like things organized, but you like transcendent things. Um, I'll, I'll give you some examples. Well, because, but, but by the way, the, the transcendent by nature is messy because it involves restoration and elevation. Transcendent is, is beautiful when somebody transcends their situation. When somebody was lost and now they're found. That's how the New Testament puts it. When somebody was in darkness and now they're in light, you know? When somebody was broke and now they're not. <laughs> that's the beauty of what we love and what we're drawn to. And that's the beauty of the church. Let me give you a couple of examples. David from the Old Testament. I've been reading in 2 Samuel in my morning time with God. And uh, it's the story of David, King David of Israel. And he was the favorite king of Israel. He was uh, the man after God's own heart. He was the boy with the, with the sling and five stones that dropped the giant. You know, and so I'm drawn to this story. And I just keep on finding myself glued to just a few verses every morning because I'm like, wow, what a great man. What a great story. Now, not everything David did was great, but the parts that I'm drawn to are when he comes up out of his situation because it's beautiful and it is messy. And so this is like the example, the kind of thing that we love to see. Uh, my wife and I, we were riding bikes in downtown Portland not long ago and she was telling me about this one restaurant called Kachka, which is a Russian restaurant on like 11th and Belmont or something on the east side. Amazing dumplings. Um, if you can't tell, I always mention food in every message uh, because we, we just, that's basically what we do for fun. So we were talking about Kachka, and um, she said, did you know Kachka has a 22% gratuity required for every, every person who goes and eats there? And you might be like, oh, that's, you know, I can't go eat there then. But she goes, but here's the thing, because they want to offer every employee uh, health care and and they have a $25 minimum wage for their employees at Kachka. Now you're like, I want to work at Kachka. All right, you know, let me see the application. And I, and I told her, I was like, you know, I have a lot of respect for that. Because they said to themselves, we want to take care of our employees. And it makes me want to support that business because I'm like, I like that. There's some transcendence in that, you know? Like you could just get by with mistreating your employees and nobody might even know for a while. But if you do the right thing like that, you know, there's something beautiful about that. Uh, another, another example of transcendence, and then we'll, we'll get into the meat of what we're talking about today. Um, there's, I'm an Apple fan, Apple products. I love it. I love the business, though. I love the story of Apple. I love that they were doing great, then they tanked. Then Steve Jobs comes back in 1997, and they go to work on things, and they become the most valuable company in the world. And he said in 1997, he goes, here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them, but the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as crazy, we see genius because the ones who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. So you look at that and go like, wow, I like that. You know, there's something that draws me to that story. Because why? Because I want to be one of the crazy ones in that story. And you probably do too. And 
you are. Because you're here and we're talking together about something way more valuable than a phone or a computer. We're talking about how God wants to change the world. And, and, and so here, here we go. And I think this is why we need an authentic culture to thrive, is that we gotta be in a place where we can be real. And that's why we say at Westside, we refuse to pretend that's value number one. It's at the top of your notes. If you're here in person, you grab the printed copy. It's at the top of that. If you're watching online in the app, there's the notes. You can look that up and, and follow along. Here's Westside value number one. We're gonna unpack this today. And it is this, we refuse to pretend. Let me read you the details. We aim to be real and honest, to be people who don't fake it just to save face or to impress others. We wanna know that we can come openly and honestly before a loving God and bring the real issues of our lives to him in a safe and non-judgmental community. It's a big part of who we are as a church. How did we arrive at these six values? We're gonna unpack one per week. Well, um, quick story is we took a little retreat with our team and we went to a cabin in the middle of Oregon and we spent a lot of time asking this crazy question. It was an exercise called Man on the Moon. Or no, excuse, Mission to Mars. That was the exercise, Mission to Mars. And it was about what if uh, the world was coming to an end and we had to pick five people to go replant Westside Community Church on Mars uh, because we, we couldn't any longer have the church here on Earth. And so the question was, who would you pick and why? So we went through this, like, long, long, long exercise of figuring out who would we pick and why. And you know what's funny? I was not picked. <laughs> I was like, see you later, guys. You know? So we picked these people, and we go like, here's why we would pick these people, and we came up with six values that go because this, because this, because this, because this, because this, because this. And one was authenticity, because we refuse to pretend. So we wanna create a culture that is authentic, because that's where we thrive. I want you to open your Bibles, if you brought them, or your phone, if you're using the Bible app, to Luke chapter 18. We're gonna look at a tale of two hypocrites, and we're gonna talk about what we learn out of it. So Jesus is telling this story uh, because he needed to make a point. And Jesus often used stories, they call them parables in the Bible, to illustrate a point when somebody needed to learn a lesson. So this is one of those times. It says in Luke 18, nine, it says, then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Any of ever met anybody like that? <laughs> You're like, yeah, I try to avoid them. It says in verse 10, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, Sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and give you a tenth of my income. Was this a prayer or just a bragging session? Uh, it wasn't, he wasn't praying to God. He was talking about himself and propping himself up, right? Not just bragging about himself to God, but comparing himself to somebody else, putting that person down so he could elevate himself so that he could prop himself up and feel better about himself in front of God. And you might have noticed that his title was Pharisee. And I wanna point out just a couple of quick things in that passage. Pharisees were the teachers of the law. They weren't by nature bad people. 
It's not, like, uh, it's not like to be a Pharisee was to be a bad person. To be a Pharisee was to be a teacher of the law of God. You might know that the, the, the Bible is broken up into two parts, the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Testament or the New Covenant. One was before Jesus, and the New Covenant is after Jesus. And so before Jesus, the law was, was the order of the day. And so these people were like, hey, if the law is the thing, we're going to learn it, we're going to do it, we're going to do a good job of it. And so they were like, you know, really Johnny on the spot with this stuff. And so he, he, this guy was like, I'm good. I'm a Pharisee. I'm, you know, I got it. But what he, and what he did was he goes, I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. Now, I want to just point out there is still value in what he said he was doing. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. It draws you close to God. There's no, just because a Pharisee said he did it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. <laughs> Right? And just because a Pharisee did it legalistically doesn't mean that everybody who fasts does it legalistically. Same thing with the tithing thing he said. He goes, I give a tenth of my income to you. I mean, the Bible teaches tithing. And, you know, tithing is something that supports ministries all around the world. There's no ministry that's funded by a government. So ministry is funded by the goodwill, the generosity, the faithfulness of those who participate. It's always been that way. It always will be that way. So ministry is an expression of our generosity. The strength of our ministry is the strength of our generosity. And so it's not like this is throw the baby out with the bathwater. But he was going, because I do these things, I'm better in your sight. Right, God? And that's the, it's the motive question. Always it's the motive question. Why, not just what are you doing. Why are you doing what are you doing? And I think that's the point that, that Jesus was trying to make there. He says in verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying this, oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Now, what an attitude that was. And I always picture that. And it just kind of makes, it kind of, it kind of brings me, it makes me a little emotional to picture this because you see this contrast and you, you can kind of, I don't know in that story if you can relate a little bit with this tax collector who would have been like at the low, you know, the Pharisee would have been like the, the real popular guy in culture. The tax collector would have been like the real low, you know, worst of the worst kind of guy because they were known for cheating and stealing from people and embezzling and all this stuff. And he's going, be merciful to me because I'm a sinner. And I just have my heart goes out to this person who feels unworthy, and it makes me so excited to see the words of Jesus after this in verse 14. He says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. That word justified, what does that mean? It means made right again with God. It means that he entered into that conversation with God guilty and he left guilt free. That's a beautiful thing. Maybe you're exploring faith. Maybe today God's brought you into this gathering online or here on site because you want to get rid of your guilt, because you know there's something greater for your life, but you've you got to figure out how to get through that guilt or that shame or that past to your future. And I think Jesus has brought you here because today you have an opportunity to have that same experience of being cleansed of your sin, of being justified, which means just as if I'd never sinned, and brought back into a right relationship with, with God. And so Jesus goes, this, this sinner, not the Pharisee, 
He says this to end it. He says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Out of that, you know, almost the, the last few words are the most important. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. If you look at that whole thing, the tale of two hypocrites, one hypocrite was, you know, justified because of humility. The other one was not. And it's refreshing for me, I hope it is for you, to see this and go, God affirms humility that is authentic, that acknowledges the reality of who I am and where I am, and just goes, I hope you can have mercy on me. And he does every time. Let's look more at that. I mean, and especially, I want you to know, in, in our political and cultural moment that we're having uh, in the last few years, it's super refreshing to go, humility is what God blesses, right? Not this division that's based on I'm better than you or you're better than me or all of that stuff, that there's so much of that division in our world right now. But what we see is that God exalts people who humble themselves. And, and we need to follow that example. So let me give you three beautiful truths that help us to understand how do you build an authentic culture? What was it that Jesus was talking about? How do you be a part of something where it's okay to be honest and is it safe to do that? Well, let me give you this number one in your notes. Outside doesn't always reflect inside. You can write that down in your notes. Outside doesn't always reflect inside. If, if, it were tr if, if the outside reflected the inside, then the Pharisee would have been the one that went home justified. But it wasn't that way because the inside of that guy wasn't clean. Jesus called the Pharisees many times, he called them whitewashed tombs, which meant Oh my gosh, on the outside this looks so great, but what's inside is death. Stinking, rotting, decaying death. And so the outside doesn't always reflect the inside. In fact, uh, what, you, what you see is not always what you get. We, we throw around labels a lot in our culture. Labels are a big thing. And uh, as a parent, one of the things we learned about parenting is that labeling only reinforces bad behavior. So if you tell a child, um, you're a bad kid, that only reinforces bad behavior, right? If you put a label on somebody that has to do with their past or with a mistake that they've done, I mean, thank God he doesn't label us by a mistake, right? I'm so glad. I mean, if you know what the Bible says about you, you know that you are chosen, loved, adopted, a child of God. I mean, crazy, amazing, great labels that God puts on us. We have labels in our culture like executive, that's an, a label, and you might go, oh, executive, got everything together. Plenty of money, no debt, right? Organized, life in order. I mean, but what you see is not what you always get. We have labels like addict. But let me ask you a question. Who in here is not addicted to something? We're all addicts, but we're also all children of God. Gay, special needs. These are labels that we throw around in our culture. Young, old, overweight. I mean, you name it, we got all these labels, right? We just use these labels, why? I don't even know why. Why do we use labels? Make us feel better about ourselves? We go, because I'm not one of them? The outside doesn't always reflect the inside. Jesus said this in John 7, 24, look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. 
not long ago, my son Caleb, uh, who's actually traveling this weekend, and he runs our tech here, so we were nervously hoping everything went well. So far, so good. Caleb, good job getting it all set up. Um, he's watching from online. Uh, but not long ago, we were looking for a new car for him, and so um, we were like on Craigslist, you know, looking stuff up. He finds something, and he goes, Dad, let's go look at this car. So we go look at this car. And I gotta say, I was like, one, it was a BMW, and he was 17 years old. And I'm like, uh, have you checked the insurance on this thing? You know, it's not gonna be cheap. And he goes, I know, I know, but I can afford it, Dad. You know, so we were talking about that, and he's like, I, I wanna get like a little bit nicer car. And so we go look at this BMW, and it was used, of course, like more than, more than we realized it was used. We pull up, it's gorgeous, just gorgeous. Beautiful blue, beautiful interior, beautiful wheels and tires. And then the guy starts it, and I'm like, what is that noise? <laughs> what is that noise? We pop the hood, I'm looking around, and I'm like, where's the dipstick on this thing? And that guy goes, oh, these don't have a dipstick. And I'm like, well, that's dumb. How do you check the oil, you know? Um, and he goes, well, you have to take it to the dealer to do that. And I'm like, Caleb, that's bad. You know, don't, don't do that. Um, anyways, it's not bad if you own a BMW, but if you're a 17-year-old kid and it sounds funny, don't buy that BMW if you can't check the oil. Um, so we're like looking at the car going like, oh, it looks so good on the outside, but there was all these indications that it hadn't been taken care of. We popped the trunk and it like ejected like a, like a Top Gun plane seat. It was like, Poof, you know, and... <laughs> I'm glad my face wasn't in the way because it would have, I would have gotten hurt, you know? And we're like, that's probably not supposed to be like that. I can't imagine this thing came off the showroom floor and they're like, check out the trunk, <laughs> you know? <laughs> what was wrong with this car? Well, it had been damaged and not repaired correctly. And so we didn't buy that car because the outside doesn't always reflect the inside. And if you are taking that much care about purchasing a vehicle, how much more care should we be taking about our souls and our relationships and our community? If we're gonna build an authentic culture, we have to look underneath the surface so we can judge correctly. Notice Jesus didn't say, don't make any decisions about your relationships. Sometimes people misunderstand, don't judge. As in, don't use judgment. That's not what Jesus was saying. What he was saying was don't use judgment to isolate people from yourself. Don't use judgment to put people down like that Pharisee did. But Jesus would say, exercise good judgment about your relationships or else you're gonna be in deep weeds. I think for us, uh, we could use the word manners when it comes to this. Have manners with people, right? We refuse to pretend. We refuse to pretend we got it all together. That's just called manners. Somebody walks in the building that looks different or has a different background or you know, walks into your growth group that you've never met before and it seems like they don't get the culture or whatever that you might think that is. Let's have some manners. Like welcoming people who are different from us ought to be a way of life for a Christ follower. That's what Jesus did. I mean, he, he, he didn't just welcome people into his circle. He aggressively went into their circles, right? He found himself regularly out of his comfort zone in the middle of a mess, having gospel conversations, talking about the good news of the kingdom, and bringing people closer to himself. And you can only do that if you believe that the outside doesn't necessarily reflect the, the inside. In fact, I, I think that it should, it should raise a little bit of righteous anger in us to see the way this Pharisee treated this tax collector like a righteous anger that goes like, oh. You shouldn't pe treat people that way. And you shouldn't treat people that way. And 
you know, I think for us, I hope that we get a little bit upset about that kind of stuff. I hope that we go, I want to protect the DNA of welcoming and of authenticity and, and of really loving people where they're at. That we go, that's, that's who we are. That's why we do what we do, is because we refuse to pretend. I, I think it's important for us to remember the church is a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints. The church is a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints. And as a result, we want to keep growing, right? There's a healing place. So don't just have the mentality that, okay, so we refuse to pretend and then we leave it at that. I mean, Jesus says, come as you are, but he, he loves us too much to leave us that way. There's no denying that if you read the New Testament. So he's got a plan and a purpose to pull us forward. That's what transcendence is. And so one of the things I want to encourage you about this week is we've got a little platform called Westside Plus. It's a learning platform for discipleship, for growing in your faith. You, can, you could actually take some courses, take some steps. It's exciting stuff. You could check the little box on your connection card or on the form today uh, in the chat, and you can, you can take a step. You can grow. You can, you can become even more. I was laughing this week when we went to Coeur d'Alene. We stayed at a hotel, and when I checked in, I had this, like, I don't know why, I just, I was like, I wonder if my Expedia points will help us today. And so I walk up to the counter, because I've like been racking up the Expedia points in hopes that they would help with something. And I walk up to the counter, and, and uh, I don't know why it came out this way. I felt such, like such an idiot. I walk up, and thankfully nobody was like listening besides the person at the counter. But I said, do you guys do any free upgrades for Expedia Gold members? And I felt like such a poser in that moment. I'm like, oh, well, and it's the way I said it. It was kind of like, you guys uh, do any upgrades for Expedia Gold members? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, I'm not just an average customer here, you know? Like I walked in here and you didn't even welcome me as an Expedia Gold member. You know, do I, what, do I need to whip out my Expedia Gold card for you to treat me with respect here today? You know, I just had that, that thing. And it just reminded me of this whole concept and I apologized because I was such an idiot and we went to our no upgrade room, you know, with no view <laughs> and just enjoyed our time. Outside doesn't reflect inside. The church is a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints. Here's number two in your notes. The comparison kills. Comparison kills. You, you, want, you want to shut down a, a conversation with somebody. You want to shut down a relationship. You want to scare off somebody who's not sure if they can trust you. Just start comparing yourself to them. Comparison kills progress. It kills growth. There's a pendulum of comparison. We judge ourselves by our motives and others by their actions. <laughs> We're like, well, I meant to do good, so I'm good. And somebody else is like, well, you didn't do good, so you're not good. So we judge ourselves by our motives and others by their actions. That's unfair. That leads to pride. The other thing that we do is we compare our backstage with other people's front of house that leads to insecurity. So comparison is this pendulum swing between pride and insecurity, isn't it? You're like, oh, look at them, they suck. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, look at me, I suck. And neither one of those things is helpful because you are not everybody else. You're God's child on a journey and yes, he's got a plan for your life and it is a plan for your life. And we've gotta walk that plan. In Romans 12, 3, the Bible says, don't think you're better than you really are. And I think I would add for our purposes today, or worse, you know? 
like rightly judge your own situation and, and, and go, I want to be the best I can be, but I want to do that safely in a community where I know I'm not going to be judged for being honest about where I really am. Because how do you move forward if you don't even know where you really are? It's just that honesty that helps and comparison kills that. I don't know if anybody ever saw that movie, Dangerous Minds, with the teacher who decided to take a different approach to education. And so she comes in and gives everybody an A to start off with in this very rough school. And, uh, and, and got real criticized for doing that because it's like, well, they didn't even earn that grade. Well, there was actually some research done on this mentality. It says the idea that earning a good grade teaches life lessons about getting what you're willing to work for may actually be working against students. Researchers at the RSA Action and Resource Center in London found that the traditional policy of starting students with no grade to work their way up to a good grade is incompatible with natural brain function. So I know we have some educators in the room, and you may disagree with that statement, but think about your relationships for a second. What if you started everybody off with an A? Everybody in your life was an A not a zero or a to be determined, and certainly not an F, you know? Because sometimes, don't we do that? It's like, well, I don't know you well enough, so you got an F in my book. You know, and maybe if you stick around long enough, you might progress to a D minus, that's gonna be awesome, where you're not failing. But, you know, good luck trying to get to an A. We've all had those teachers in our lives. And then, if you have somebody else who's treated you like an A from the beginning, don't you just love being around that person? You're like, oh. It's like fresh, refreshing to you. Because I think that's how God wants us to treat one another. And, and, and this is so important. This is so important to how we function as a church. We cannot be people who go, I've been saved by grace, but I'm not sure he's gonna do that for you. God has forgiven me of my sin, but mine weren't really as bad as yours, so good luck getting an A. I think what we gotta do is go like, look, Aren't we all literally just screw-ups? Yeah. But aren't we all offered the grace of God that helps us to transcend back up and he restores us back into relationship with his son Jesus, which puts us in good standing with the Holy Spirit and with the Father, totally wipes our sins away, reclassifies us as a child of God, and puts God's spirit in our heart and he said this in the Old Testament. He goes, I'm gonna put my law in your heart, which means now we've got something working in us for us, moving us toward God. And so I think we could slap an A on everybody right now and go like, this is awesome. God is moving us toward himself, and we don't need to compare. One of the things that, um, I'm so grateful for Kendra, who was just standing up here. Uh, Kendra's our niece, and she is a, an incredible leader as a student. She's working with the students right now, and she you know, went to middle school camp, and she's up here as a young person on the stage in the big church, you know, and she's doing stuff that's amazing. And what I love is they're creating the same culture with students right now. And I think one of the things that I'm gonna ask you to do is would you, would you say, you know, I wanna do, I wanna join the effort to help create a safe space in our church culture where people can explore faith and community without judgment. What does that mean? That means be careful what you say. Give people an A. It means try to understand their situation. Don't compare, you know, all these things. 
It also means if you're a person who's got some baggage or history or you're ashamed of some stuff, the sooner you get real about that, the more you help us to create a safe space where people can thrive in community. And I think this is all just important stuff. Here's the third thing in your notes, is this, is that honesty invites mercy. Honesty invites mercy. Sometimes we think BSing God is what invites mercy. But there is no BSing God. Like, he knows it all. So this guy that stands up and goes, God, be merciful to me, for I'm just a sinner. God goes, that guy is justified. That guy goes, that, that guy gets it. He knows what's real, and he's willing to admit it. And honesty invites mercy. It's, it's, it's an attitude of transparency and authenticity. I, I like that song. There's this old song by Julia Michaels called I Got Issues. You might have heard it. I got issues, but you got them too, so give them all to me and I'll give mine to you. Sounds like a great relationship. Um, and then it says, bask in the glory of all our problems because we got the kind of love it takes to solve them. And I think that, that she got it part right in there. Bask in the glory of all our problems. That might be a little bit you know, extreme on the problem side. I don't know if there's glory in basking, basking in the glory of all our problems is gonna solve anything, but being honest and feeling safe that we have issues, that's a good thing. It's too low a goal to say, we're just gonna live in our problems. Instead, we want mercy, we want healing, we want transformation, and honesty is how we get there. So the Bible says in James 5, 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, I'm not gonna have you do this exercise right now. <laughs> confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. I'm not gonna have you do that right now. But let me ask you a question. Do you have anybody in your life that you could confess a sin to. Think about that for just a second. Could you tell somebody what you're struggling with? If you don't, your community is weak and you need to build it. And you can build it here. We can help. Because if you don't have that kind of support in your life, you cannot get past your problems. You'll begin to be stuck in those problems. Stuck denying those problems. Stuck acting like a Pharisee who doesn't have problems. And what God wants you and me to do is to refuse to pretend. And if we're gonna do that, we have to have other people in our lives who also refuse to pretend. And we have to have the guts to get real and go for it. One of the things you might have to do this week is have a hard conversation with somebody in your life. Maybe a confronting conversation, maybe a confessing conversation. But to have a hard conversation could be the very thing that's gonna take you to the next level in your spiritual journey. And I wanna say this one-liner before we end, and that is this, is that getting real is the first step to getting right. I think that's what I want you to take away today, is getting real is the first step to getting right. Sometimes we focus so much on getting right, that's why the Pharisee was like, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, but he wasn't real. And I think, God cares so much about you and me being real and honest. That's why he said this sinner's gonna go home justified, but not the guy who thinks he's all that. So I wanna ask you to get real about one very important question today, and that is, do you have a relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus? Do you know for sure that God has forgiven you of your sins, cleansed you from all unrighteousness, as the Bible says. Do you know that you're forgiven? It says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just 
to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me right now, whether you're watching online, you're right here in, in, the, in the auditorium with me. I think God wants you and me to move into a place of closeness with him today. To, to be willing to say, God, I really do have some things in my life in I really do have some aspects that I want to grow and I really do feel like I need you in my life. Now some of you, you would say, I've already said yes to Jesus, but if the truth were known, there's a lot of hypocrisy in my life. I say one thing and I do another. I act one way in certain groups and I act another way when I'm all by myself and nobody's looking. If the truth were known, I'm kind of leading a double life right now. And I need to stop that. So I need strength to be honest with somebody, to be real so that I can get right. I want to be that person that stands before God and goes, I'm, I'm, I'm being totally honest with you today. To know that if I do that, God's going to forgive me and he's going to move me into a place of strength, progress, transcendence. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who have a hard conversation that they need to have. Lord, that first hard conversation is with you to say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for living a double life. I'm sorry for doing things that directly violate my conscience or that directly violate your word or that directly violate the people that are in my life. I'm sorry. I want to be honest. God, show me who I can tell so I can get some support in this. But I know as we do these kind of things, it's courageous and it takes, it takes faith to know that we're not gonna be rejected. So would you remind us that we're safe in this community? Remind us that we're safe in this family. Remind us that we're safe in your family. We thank you for your grace. Others of you are watching or you're sitting here in person today and your life has been a series of attempts to figure out how you could compare yourself to other people, how you could feel more valuable, how you could feel like you fit in better, how you could feel like you belong. But you've done all of that by putting on a show. You've done all of that by trying to be better. And I think what Jesus is teaching us here is that the better still isn't good enough because if it's not perfection, it doesn't work. But here's what he did. He said that Jesus Christ came as the perfect lamb of God in our place. He said he, he offered his own body on the cross so that we could be redeemed. He said he paid the price for all of our sinfulness, for all of our inadequacy. He poured it out, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he said, I want you to believe and receive. So today, maybe God's been working on you, and it might have been a year that he's been working on you. It might have been five years. It might have been a decade. And he keeps on saying the same thing to you, which is come home. Come home. Come to me. Believe. Receive. Receive the goodness of the gift of life that Jesus brings us. Receive the power to move forward in your life and become what God wants you to be. Receive the beauty of a family that, that accepts you and moves with you. If you're ready for that kind of faith and life, 
I want to invite you right where you're at right now just to say these words in your heart back to God. Say them right now. Say, Jesus, today I'm believing in you. I'm saying yes to you. I want to receive your, your grace, your forgiveness. I don't want to be like the Pharisee that's constantly trying to make myself look better. I want you to do the deep work on the inside. I want you to transform me from the inside out. So God, today I give you my life as best I know how. I give you my heart. I believe in you, Jesus, and I receive the gift of your salvation. If you're, if you're watching, your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, you're here in sight, would you raise your hand if you're just now saying yes to Jesus? If God has moved in your life and you're saying, yes, Jesus, I believe, would you raise your hand right up right now or in the chat online? Would you tell me so I can be praying for you? Raise your hand up right now. Thank you so much. God bless you. I believe God is bringing people to himself today and you're one of them. And God celebrates that when you come close. If you just said yes to Jesus, the Bible says you are now a child of God. That's your label, and it's a good one. And he's never gonna leave you or forsake you. I'm so thankful that he's with us no matter what. God, thank you for being with us. We love you, we thank you for what you're about to do in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.